0: You guys are awesome. Lauren and I are uh, so grateful to be at a church like this, and um, I'm just excited to get into God's Word and to talk about something that I'm so passionate about already. Um, so thank you guys for the opportunity. I'm really honored. Uh, if you would, turn your, in your Bible to John 4, uh, and then we're going to pray and uh, just jump right into it. So let's pray together as you do that. Lord, thank you uh, for the opportunity to be doing this right now. I thank you for your Word Um, I thank you that when we try to figure out what worship should look like, we don't have to guess uh, because you tell us in your word. Um, And so, God, we just want to know more of you now so that we can respond to you. So I pray that we would be convicted in this time. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged in this time and that we would, uh, again, learn to know and glorify you more. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So my wife and I, Lauren, she's awesome. Also, this team, are they not incredible? This is all volunteers today. They are awesome. Um, Really grateful to just be able to step away and focus on something else, and they still nail it. Uh, You guys know my wife. She plays keys. is an awesome worship leader. We have been married five years, and uh, yep, that's good, five years. Uh, We got married, and we left our wedding, and we went to a beautiful place, a magical place called Ikea. And we basically furnished our entire apartment uh, from Ikea, but if you know anything about Ikea, you know it's magical when you're there in the warehouse walking around, but when you get home and you have to assemble it all, it's not so magical. So you, uh, we bought all this stuff. You open the box and you dump out the directions, right? The instructions. Yeah, right. A bunch of words. Nobody, most of us don't know what they mean. And there's just like the little fat guy that's made of lines that points and says, you need a screwdriver and get somebody to help you. That's not helpful at all. So you dump out the instructions, all 12,000 pieces, and you lay them out in front of you. And the last thing that I put together, everything had gone smoothly, was this dresser that we bought. It weighs like a billion pounds. So I lay out all the pieces. I've got the base put together. Also, those of you that know I'm into woodworking, this is before those days. So uh, I'm not a phony, I promise. Uh, The IKEA days were before this. Lay out all the pieces, start getting the base together, the sides, I get the back on. I put the top on, which weighs literally like 400 pounds. Uh, Put that on, and then I spend the next probably, I don't know, 48 hours putting drawers together and screwing them into the side and assembling it. Uh, I only had about 30 pieces left, which is pretty good for IKEA stuff. And I step back, and I'm getting ready to call my wife in. And she walks by, and she goes, oh, you put the top on backwards. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I had to take the whole thing apart, all the drawers out, because the top won't come off without taking the whole thing apart. Take all the drawers out, put it all back together, just to turn the 400-piece top around. It was not uh, an Ikea magical moment. Uh, It was really frustrating. Um, I thought that I was doing it right. But when I stepped back and looked at it, I had actually been doing it all wrong. It looked sort of like a dresser, but it wasn't the right dresser. And that terrible story, I think, is uh, a good picture of what some of us may do with worship. What we do sometimes with worship is that we, we think we're doing the right things. We think that we're on the right track. And then when we step back, we can look at it and see that maybe this isn't what God wanted at all, that we haven't. Actually, been worshiping God the way that He's that He desires, and so today uh, I want to talk about this distinctive, passionate worship, and I want to talk about what it should actually look like. Um, And so I think it's important that we start with a definition. A lot of us probably have—sorry—I'm trying to get used to the Garth Brooks mic. I'm going to try not to touch it anymore. Uh, A lot of us probably have different ideas of what worship is, based on um, your uh, your understanding of it, your background, maybe a church that you've gone to in the past, maybe your understanding of Scripture. The dictionary definition of worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity, or honor given to someone in recognition of their merit. So the word worship literally means worthship. It's acknowledging worth. It's giving something worth. And today, we're all doing that in some way. Everybody is worshiping, whether you think you are or not, or whether you think you're worshiping the right way or not. Hopefully we are, at least in many cases. We all worship something. We all ascribe worth and show worthiness, acknowledge worth towards something. And most of us here would probably say that we're trying to give God right worship. We want to do the right things. We want our worship to be true and proper and passionate. And so today what we're going to look at is how do I know? How do I know that my worship, how do I ensure that the worship that I offer God is true worship? And so the big idea today is this. If it's not worship from the heart. It's not true worship. Very simple. If it's not worship from the heart, it's not true worship. And so I'm going to give you a different definition. Uh, We should have this. It'll come up so you can really uh, examine it. Worship is a biblical response to God resulting from an understanding of biblical truth about God. Just read that for a second. Worship is a biblical response to God resulting from an understanding of biblical truth about God. And what that definition shows us is that God is the one who initiates all worship. There's not something we can do to create, to fabricate, to concoct worship. Worship doesn't happen when we get up here and we mix just the right songs with just the right prayers and just the right sermon and just the right amount of giving during the offering. Those things may be worshipful, but they are not worship in and of themselves. Worship is God reveals himself to us, and then we respond to the truth that he reveals. And so this distinctive, uh, I want you to be able to read this too, this distinctive that's, that's in, at the core of our church, passionate worship, the, the summary under it says this, we will join our voices and lives with worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and people to exalt Jesus Christ, responding to his matchless name. Worship is God reveals himself to us, and then we respond to his truth, the truth that he reveals. So I know I'm um, the worship guy here. I'm the worship staff member. But it's really important that right from the outset, we understand that worship is not synonymous with music. That's kind of happened in our culture, especially modern church culture. Um, Worship is not music. Music is a form of worship. But not all music is worship, certainly. And not all worship is music. Uh, Worship is the heart's response to God's truth expressed and demonstrated in whatever form, including worship or music when we choose to use it that way. Um, and the Bible shows us that that worship, that heart response, is actually the purpose of mankind. People ask, like, what's the meaning of life? What is the purpose of life? The purpose of life is very clear in Scripture. It's worship. It's to worship the Lord. We see that in Genesis when people are literally created to glorify God. And worship God. And then we see it all the way at the end of Scripture in Revelation. When there's nothing left, when this is gone, all that's left is worship of Jesus Christ. The answer to that question is worship. And the funny thing is, when we look at the New Testament in between, we don't see really anything about worship services as we know and experience them. In the Old Testament, uh, there's a Hebrew word that I'm not going to try to butcher right now that uh, is used for worship 172 times, and it means to physically bow down, to show a sense of reverence and respect and honor. And then in the the Greek uh, Old Testament, which is the New Testament writers translating from the Hebrew, 164 of those times that word is translated proskuneo. Say that with me. Proskuneo. You can do it one more time. Proskuneo. That's common in the Old Testament, and it's even common in the Gospels, as people come and they bow down in reverence to Jesus as Lord. But in the letters of Paul, written to the church, it only shows up one time. And in the letters of Peter and James and John, it doesn't show up once, not at all. So why is this word that was so commonly used for worship in the Old Testament and in Revelation, this physical action, not used at all in the letters written to teach the early church how to be the church. It seems like it should be in there. And to answer that, we're going to look at what Jesus says to the woman at the well in John 4. If you haven't turned there yet, go ahead and do that. I think the best place to learn and find out about worship is directly from the lips of Jesus. So we're going to do that today. We're going to pick up in the middle of the story at verse 13. So a little bit of background before we do that. Basically, uh, we don't have time to read it all. So Jesus is traveling. uh, He's on a journey, and he's going through Samaria. And the scripture says he's tired. He's been traveling a long time. He's tired. So he stopped at Jacob's well to get something to drink. And while he's there, a Samaritan woman walks up. Now, we know that this Samaritan woman is probably an outcast. We know that for two reasons. One, she's coming to the well. The scripture says Jesus is there basically in the middle of the day. So this woman is coming to the well in the heat of the day to draw water, probably because she doesn't want to be there when all the other women are coming to get water from the well, because the scripture tells us she's been divorced five times and is now with someone else. So this woman feels shame from her own community. She feels like an outcast, so she decides she would rather come to the well in the heat of the day than go when all the other people are going to be there. The second reason we know she's an outcast, at least according to the writers, is because she's a Samaritan and a woman. So the Jews would have looked down on her. If you know anything about the relationship between Jews and Samaritans, the scripture actually in this passage says they have no dealings with each other. They didn't get along. They didn't talk. They didn't communicate. They were outcasts um, from their culture and their worship. And yet Jesus engages her at the well, which is probably its own sermon right there. We're not going to get into that. But in fact, Jesus offers her salvation. He doesn't just talk to her. He offers her a chance to know him, And know the Lord to receive salvation despite what she's done. And then he teaches her about what true worship really is. And by teaching her, he teaches us. So let's read the scripture and see what Jesus has to say uh, in this scenario. Starting at verse 13, John 4, verse 13, the Bible says, Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water, the water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Right over her head. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And from those few verses, from this passage, we can get the entire essence of what true worship is, what God desires when we truly worship him. So when we pick up at verse 13, Jesus is basically trying to tell this woman who he is and what he has to offer her and everyone else, but she is focused on herself. It goes, what he says goes right over her head because she is, she just doesn't want to have to come to the well anymore, right? She doesn't want to have to come out in the heat and get water. She's concerned with her physical condition and not her spiritual condition. That's not us, right? That's only her. But Jesus wants to get to the spiritual, so he gets right to the heart of the matter. He comes back and says, go call your husband. Oh, and she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, yeah, you're right, because you've had five husbands, and the guy that you're with now isn't your husband. And then look what she does. She evades Jesus' statement again. And instead, she decides to say, oh, so you're some kind of prophet. Like, she's probably being sarcastic, right? She wants to have a, a theological discussion rather than deal with what's going on in her own life, in her own heart. She says, you know, oh, so you're a prophet. Well, then, where do you stand on the issue of the place of worship? The the Jews and the Samaritans kind of had this disagreement. Basically, the Samaritans had their version of the Old Testament Scriptures that told them their people needed to worship on this particular mountain. But God had instructed the Jews to meet him in the temple. The temple would be where his presence was manifest in the Holy of Holies, and the people were to go there to the temple to meet with him. So she asked this question, well, what do you think? What do you think about where we should worship? And look how Jesus responds in in verse 21. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. Jesus is saying that there's a time coming when the place of worship won't matter anymore. It won't matter if you're on this mountain or if you're in this temple It's not going to be about the where. It's not going to be about a localized place, a geographic location. Jesus actually goes even further in the other Gospels. In Matthew 12, Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it up again. He says, you know, something greater than the temple is here. And he's talking about himself. Jesus is equating himself with the temple building, the place where God's presence was. He's actually calling himself greater than the temple building by saying, destroy this, and I will raise it up again. He's identifying himself as the true temple, the true place and means of our worship of the Father, because worship needs more than a place or a building. It needs Jesus Christ. John Piper says, Worship does not need a building, a priesthood, or a sacrificial system. It needs the risen Jesus. Without Jesus, our worship means nothing. In himself, Jesus says he will fulfill everything That God promised about worship. That everything the temple stood for, especially the place and the means that believers meet with God, will be fulfilled in Jesus himself. He is both the means and the object of our worship. And by saying this, Jesus is saying, those old Jewish rituals, those old incorrect Samaritan rituals, they don't matter anymore. They're useless. And then the rest of the passage tells us, God is looking for something more. This is what God is looking for. In our worship. So then we get to verse 23. Let's pick up there. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. That's it right there. In one sentence, the essence of true passionate worship. But the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. And in truth, true worship had been expected by God's people. It was supposed to happen eventually. They had been uh, promised that this would happen. And Jesus is saying, The hour is coming and is now here. The hour is coming and is now here in me. You've been promised a Messiah. You've been promised that this worship will be made possible, and now it's here. Jesus is saying that true worship is now possible because of Him and is no longer bound to this place. Instead, He says, It's in spirit and truth. Now, it's not wrong for us to gather here. (coughs) Excuse me. Sorry, I'm going to try not to do that either. It's not wrong for us to gather here and worship in a building or in small group or with people we know or with regular worship practices and songs that we sing that we get to know. But that's not what makes true worship true worship. What makes worship true worship is what happens, Jesus says, in the spirit and in truth. For our worship to be true, passionate worship. It has to happen in spirit and truth. So we're going to break down those two things. These are two elements Jesus gives us that are essential to ensuring your worship is true worship. This is the how. Element number one is spirit. What does it mean to worship in spirit? Now, what I don't think Jesus is saying is that worship happens in the Holy Spirit. Of course that's true. The Holy Spirit empowers our worship. Our our worship is, is by and through the Holy Spirit. But I think Jesus is talking about something More general than that. What Jesus is saying is that worship happens in the spirit, not in the flesh. He's saying worship happens in the spirit as opposed to the flesh. Worship should mainly be an inward experience of the heart and of the soul rather than an outward bodily or physical act or ritual or a mountain or a temple. And so up to this point, that's what the people had been doing. They had completely missed the point of the law and of the temple and of the sacrificial system. In Matthew 15, Jesus actually says, These people honor me. He's talking about the people who do this. The peop- these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. These people honor me with their lips. These are the people who are in the temple all the time. They knew the scriptures. They did the sacrifices. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. And I think we need to listen to what Jesus is saying. He's saying that when you, when I, when we come and we worship with ritual, but our hearts are far from him, that it's all in vain. It's useless. It's meaningless to God. When we, when we read our Bibles, just to check it off a list, I've done it. I've got to get through my plan. Check. When we pray to God as if he's our our personal genie if we come to a small group or to corporate worship to church together and we expect nothing we're not engaged we don't we don't tap in we show no interest it's in vain or if I come every week and I sing loud and I lift my hands and I play my guitar my heart is far from him, it's in vain. Jesus says that type of worship is empty, it's meaningless to God, and it's not really true worship at all. Devotion of the heart is the essence of worship, and that's why that word proskuneo is absent from that portion of the New Testament because it didn't carry the weight, it didn't make clear the inward spiritual implications of worship for the early church that is now happening in Jesus Christ. For so long it had been about a a ritual, a place. And that bow down physically showing reverence, of course it's still valuable, but it's not the heart of worship anymore. Jesus has revolutionized worship. Worship is now in the spirit as an inward response of the heart. That big idea. If it's not worship from the heart, it's not true worship. And then Jesus says, not only... Do we need to worship in spirit? We need to worship in truth. Um, every year since I was a kid, my parents would go to the Outer Banks, uh, to Kitty Hawk actually, in Nags Head, um, North Carolina for vacation. And we'd always take a few days, we'd get up early, check the tides, and we would go fishing. One of my favorite parts of the trip, we'd just go down to, to the beach and then surf fish right there. And one year, I caught the biggest fish. It was huge. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe 11? This changed my life. This fish made me feel like a man. It was huge. We would always collect, you know, whatever everybody got, and then we'd have, like, fish dinner that night. This one fish fed my whole family that night. It had to have been, like, 30, 40 pounds. Actually, we have a picture of it. Let me show it to you. How many of you had a different image in your head than this? Right? Why? Because I pretty much lied to you and told you things about this fish that were not true. And if we're not really careful, we can do the same thing with God, and it affects our worship of God. We can actually draw this image in our mind the same way you did. You're like, man, that must have been a big fish. I bet it was huge. I bet it was this type of fish. You know, you're imagining the dinner my family had. But then when you step back and look at it, it's all wrong because I didn't give you the correct picture Of what it looked like and if we're not careful we can do the same thing with God that's why worshiping in truth is so important because worship is a response to biblical truth not our perception not my perception of who God is to worship in truth means that our worship our response comes from correct biblical truths about God having a right picture of who God is because if we're not careful we can have a false view of God, and we can actually come and worship something other than the true God. The God that we think we're worshiping might not actually look like God at all. And so Jesus is saying, this is important, that we need to know the God that we worship. That's why we take so much time digging through what songs are we going to sing, and, and Jeff spends so much time preparing messages that are honoring to the Scripture, because it's not anything we can create. I can't give you a feeling or an emotion that is worship. Worship is God reveals himself to us, truths about himself, his character, his works, and we respond with a devoted heart to who he is. We can only worship God rightly if we know him. And the more we know him, the more and the more rightly we can actually worship him, especially together. And so in this passage, God reveals himself to the woman, right? God does this in several ways to us. We see God in creation through, uh, through his word, by his spirit, and in Jesus Christ, and when we look at the scripture, God is revealing himself to this woman through Jesus, who we know, scripture tells us, is the the complete embodiment, the picture of Jesus Christ, everything God is, is in Jesus Christ, and so he's revealing himself to this woman, he tells the woman, you Samaritans worship what you do not know, but we Jews worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, what Jesus means is, the Jews, God's chosen people, They were given the promise. They knew, they preached that a Messiah is coming and that by him and through him, true worship would happen. They knew that this was coming and that the right response to God's revelation would be made possible. Jews worship in that true promise and he's telling the woman, this is me. I'm here. It's here. This is, I am truth. And then he later tells her, and that will give you life. So to worship in truth is to see a truth about God whether in creation, by his spirit, through the scripture, or in Jesus Christ. And then to worship him because of it. The worship doesn't come, the response doesn't come before the understanding. Worship is a biblical response to biblical truth about God. And devotion of the heart is a response to that revealed truth. The scripture says that that is what God is looking for. Those two things. And that's what we try to do here every single week at Harvest. Like I mentioned in songs... In sermon prep, in the way that we give, even in our announcements, the way that we fellowship with each other. We're not putting on a show up here. This is not entertainment. Of course we're trying to be excellent, but we're not doing it for the sake of creativity. We're doing it. You know, we, we've made some changes, but we've not done that just to be better up here or in this room. We've done it because we want to put the work and the character and the attributes of God on display in a way that together we can see more of who God is and respond to him in the right way. That's what we're doing here every single week, and that's what worship is. So then the question becomes, how do we do it? You're like, yeah, that's a lot of theology. Now what do I do? How do I do it? How exactly do we express worship that comes from the heart? What does it look like? What is spirit and truth worship practically look like. Um, when I got asked to do this message, I can't tell you how excited I was because um, I lead worship here pretty much every week, and I thought to myself, you know what? Like, this is my chance. Like, I'm going to teach people how to respond in worship. Like, I'm thinking this, gathering. I'm going to teach people that the Bible says to, to raise your hands, to sing loudly, to clap, to play, you know, music with instruments, to dance, to be joyful. I thought, I'm going to teach them how to physically do something, how to respond in worship. And then, I dug into the passage, and I noticed, that's not what Jesus is saying to the woman at the well. In fact, it's the opposite. Now, God does require those things of us. He does want us to express our worship physically and outwardly. So those of you guys that do the mannequin challenge every week, or uh, look like you just got a root canal... Uh, You're not off the hook that easy. Uh, God does expect that of us. But in this passage, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, just like in Matthew, that if we do those things, but we have no heart for him, it's in vain. It doesn't matter. We need to worship him in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter what I can convince you to do when you come in this room. It doesn't matter what emotion I can give you. Of course, we want our affections you know, to be geared towards God. We want to, f- to, to experience God's presence. But it's not me manipulating these moments to make you do something and then walk away the same person. It's encountering God for who He is and responding to His truth. God is after surrendered hearts. He's not after lifted hands. That's what worship is. And because worship is more than religious actions, the way that we express Practically, worship in spirit and truth, passionate worship, is not really one particular action or expression at all. It's actually with the complete devotion and surrender of our entire life. That's what the Bible means when it says, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Worship becomes the lifestyle of, The everyday lifestyle of the believer, it's regular, it's consistent, it's ongoing. Romans 12.1. You guys probably have heard this a ton of times or know it. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, it's mercy towards us, this opportunity to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Our true and proper worship is to be a living sacrifice. It's not a cop-out. That's what scripture says. It's everything. It's our life. An active servant and a worshiper of the Almighty God. Not tied to a place or a people or a building or a song or a feeling. It's consistently learning more of who God is, knowing him more, and then responding to his truth in our hearts, in our spirit. And so even more practically than that idea of it being our lifestyle, I think that that uh, can be demonstrated in two areas. The first is our individual worship, our personal worship. That's my, that's my life at home. That's my integrity aside from here. And then our corporate worship, our public worship. That's what we're doing now. It's what we do at Small Group. That's when we're in the world. And so we'll break those down. Our individual and our personal worship, that's your relationship with the Lord. Are you worshiping God in your relationship with the Lord? And this is for me too. I can't tell you how convicting putting this message together was. What does our daily time with the Lord look like? Do we we truly desire to know God and to be with Him? To understand Him, to respond to Him? We talked about this last week. When we read the Scriptures, are we actually reading the Scriptures to encounter God and know Him more? Or are we just reading it to check it off the list? Because Jeff said last week, when you immerse yourself in scripture, you cannot help but be changed. The supernatural power of God, scripture tells us, work, works in his word and changes us. He changes our heart and then therefore our actions to look more like Christ when we regularly are disciplined and immerse ourselves in scripture and desire to know him more. When we pray, or do you pray? That was my thought when I read this. How do you pray? Do you encounter God in your prayer time? What do you pray for? How do you worship through your prayer? Do you adore God? Do you praise him? Do you desire him? Do you thank him? Do you ask him for forgiveness? Because you know he's the only one who can give it to you. How do you worship as you pray? How do you prioritize your week? What would your schedule say about your worship to the Lord? Do you worship with your time? Do you serve here, small group, in your community? What about your finances? Do we worship by giving freely and and generously and cheerfully, as the scripture tells us to do? Do we regularly confess and repent of our sin and see the fruit of change in our life? Those are the questions that we ask ourselves if we want to be able to kind of rate ourselves in personal worship. And just doing those things doesn't make them worshipful. Obviously, if it's a struggle, I would say just do it, you know, get into it. But just, just performing spiritual disciplines doesn't make them truly worshipful. It's the heart behind those actions. It's our devotion and our love for God expressed to him through those things that makes it true. And passionate worship, again, it's the heart's response of love and devotion to God's truth. Because worship is not what we do, it's who we are. It's our life. And that's the form of worship that's commanded in the New Testament. And the form of worship, personal worship, that pleases God. That's true passionate worship. And then there's our corporate worship, our public worship. That's what we're doing right now, or when we go to small group, or when we're out in the world. Um, Scripture actually doesn't say much about this type of worship um, that we're doing right now, but it does show us that corporate worship is vital to the life of the believer. True worship starts in the heart. It starts inwardly, but it must be expressed publicly, and so we come together for two reasons. The first reason is to give honor and glory and praise to the one true God together, love God, and then the second reason is to teach and to admonish and to serve the body of Christ, each other. We come here Not as the primary means of our worship. By that I mean this is not where we come to do most of our worship. That's what the lifestyle of worship is. We come here to give honor and glory to God and to build up the church, to serve each other. And I think what we've often gotten wrong in our worship as the church is that both of those actions are about giving. And we so often, myself included, make worship about what can I get? What can I receive that's the woman at the well right when Jesus says I can give you a living water she's like oh please because I don't want to come out here in the, in the sun and get water she's thinking about herself she's not thinking about what she can offer the Messiah but worship is about service what can I give to God what can I give to his people what can I offer them that will build them up anything we do in corporate worship whether it's a spiritual gift you have I have or a talent a skill If we come here and we do it, and it's not for one of those two reasons, to praise God or to serve people, then it doesn't matter. It's unbiblical. Everything we do in this gathering is to love God and love people. But so often, we come here maybe just to get something. I've heard it a lot of times, especially as a worship leader. Uh, Not so much here. Thank you. But in the past, you know what? I just didn't. That's not my song. I just didn't really, I don't really get anything out of that, that style or that, you know, whatever it is. I just didn't really get anything out of that. Or even further, that church just, it wasn't for me. I, uh, when I was a kid, about the same age as catching that fish, there was a couple at our church, and they were talking to my mom after service, and I was standing there, and I heard the lady tell her, we're just so tired of sitting through bad worship services. That's what she said. We just don't get anything out of it anymore. That church is just its just not for us. And then they, her and her husband, they left a few weeks later. Now, was our church excellent? Was it awesome? Was the pastor great? Was the music great? Probably not. But people say, that church just wasn't for me. Guess what? (laughs) Newsflash. Church isn't about you. Church is not about me. Church is not about what we get. Uh, Psalm 108 says, and yet he saved them for his name's sake. To make his mighty power known. Church and worship is for God and only God. The Bible says that we are saved. Our salvation even. And our worship is not for ourselves. But it's for his name's sake. For his glory. To point to him. And so when we come for corporate worship. For public worship. It's not our time to come and receive. Of course that's going to happen. We want that to happen. If you come and you don't get anything out of it. Then we're probably not doing our job. But that's That's a benefit. That's a benefit of worshiping God in spirit and truth. We benefit from knowing God, from having a relationship with him, from coming to know him more, and from coming to serve other people. We get something out of that, but that's not our motive. The purpose of corporate worship is to come together as a group of already worshiping individuals and to praise God and to love people. To collectively, in unity, offer God praise and adoration, thanksgiving, to repent together, to proclaim his word, and then to serve each other and our community. And so today, maybe some of us need to change our approach on church, on this right here. We don't do this as, like I said, the primary means of our worship. That's what the lifestyle of of worship is for. This is not where we do our worship. This is where we come and together we display the attributes and the character and the work of God in a way that all together we can respond to his truth with hearts that are devoted to him. And in that way, Jesus says in this passage that worship is an incredible cycle. Back to the beginning, God initiates worship by revealing himself to us, his truth to us, and we respond in worship as our hearts are changed, first inwardly, then publicly. And as he reveals himself more to us, we can worship him more, and more rightly, and more truly, and more passionately. And that's where we receive, in in verse 14, Jesus talks about the satisfaction that the water brings. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus says that when we worship in spirit and truth, we get life. It becomes life inside of us that lasts until and throughout eternal life. We see that in the woman at the well. She accepts Christ, his message And she goes to the whole town and brings them all back, and they all come to know Christ. Jesus gave her truth. He revealed truth to her. She responded with a devoted heart, a devoted life, and then went to bring others to do the same. And that is life-giving. The Scripture says we'll never be thirsty again because we're satisfied in life that comes from responding to God's truth with worship in spirit and in truth. If it's not worship from the heart, it's not true worship but if it is worship from the heart God is pleased it's true worship it's passionate worship and so today we're you know we're all here we're like i said at the beginning we're all worshiping something hopefully we're desiring and doing what we can to worship God in right ways maybe sometimes we get wrapped up in other stuff maybe our spouse our kids our boss our responsibilities maybe ourselves Our addictions, our desires, our stomachs, our goals, maybe even our past accomplishments. We put ourselves up in this this place in our minds. But God is challenging us today to worship him and him alone in spirit and in truth. We say every week, everybody has a next step at harvest. And we're going to pray in a minute. And I just would ask you to ask God for that conviction. What are these areas in my life? that maybe aren't completely devoted to you? What does passionate worship in my life look like more than just in this room? Maybe some of it has to do with this room. Maybe it is investing more in this church body or in encountering him when you get here, or when you get to small group, engaging more. Maybe it's the integrity of your faith, your, your personal life, your walk when you leave this room. Whatever it is, we're going to pray together and we're going to ask God to reveal those areas to us so that we can move forward and offer him true worship. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you again that uh, we, we don't have to wonder what you want from us. You make it clear to us in your word that this is what's expected. You sent Jesus Christ to this earth, not only to die for us and to raise the life so that we could be saved and that we could know you, but also as the full embodiment of everything that you are. Every piece of your character is in Jesus. And so we thank you that we can look to the scripture and we can encounter you through him and through your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we are as a people, as your church, as your body, Lord, we desire to know you more and we desire to worship you rightly. So God, we ask for forgiveness when we fall short when our spiritual disciplines are are shallow or they're just actions that we do, just rituals that happen, God, we ask that you forgive us for that. Convict us for areas for growth in our personal life, with our relationship with you, the way we encounter you in scripture and in prayer, with the way that we prioritize our week, how we spend our time, who we devote our energy to, the way we use our finances who we are when we leave this room and this church and God corporately we ask you to change our our attitude maybe even our attendance to Sunday morning God change us to demonstrate that we love you with all that we are by being a part of what you've called us to be corporately here and in small group and in the world to engage and to express ourselves in a way that is appropriate that's what you desire and God lead us to repentance God, forgive us for when we do this. Forgive us when we don't love you the way that we should or when our hearts get distracted by the other things of the world. God, we want to honor you in spirit and in truth, so change our hearts. Reveal yourself more and more to us so that we can worship you rightly and more truly and more passionately. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, Today I want to do something a little different to close. Um a lot of times uh, I guess every week as we play, maybe you don't know actually what's happening up here. And you hear this, but there's something a little bit different that's happening in our in-ears and in our headphones. So I'm gonna ask Austin and, and uh, production if you guys could just bring the click Down up. Chorus. For a little bit. Two, I want you to hear this. Three. Band. So while you hear the band, you can turn it up a little bit more. This is what we hear every week. I know it sounds obnoxious, but you get used to it. Listen to what it does. Drums, kick it in, chorus, two, all in. What this does is it keeps us together and it tells us our every move. It tells us what to do. It reveals to us where we're going, how we're moving. And God is doing the same thing today through His scripture. God is cueing us, he is prompting us to worship him and we have an opportunity to respond to him right now. I'm gonna ask you to stand and let's sing louder than we've ever sung. Let's offer God true worship in spirit and in truth. Come on, let's sing it together. You are the only King forever. Almighty God,